So we're going to be talking about the Pesach Seder. How many of you like do have done like traditional Pesach Seders before? Most people. Okay. Um, so um, just I, I, I was just myself curious in uh, putting material together for this class. I actually realized myself. I, I myself do not come from. I don't come from an observant home, so I did not. Although I did not grow observant, we typically had a traditional Seder. Um, and I guess, you know, becoming more observant, so I thought that I really understood most of what we do for the Seder, because I've really been doing it my whole life, and then as I started to do, put things, all these questions came to mind, I was like, wait a second, like, how come I never asked this before, like, I don't even know what, why, why we do X, Y, or Z, so it was an interesting learning process for myself. Um, what's the nature of, of the Seder? What's the format? Why do we, you know, I find... You know, my my people in general like stories. I, I don't know. I, I, I was analyzing the way people speak. I was at a weekend uh, retreat in um, in living not in, in uh, Parsippany, and Lori Palatnik was there. If you heard her, she's amazing. Worth hearing. Find, Google her. She's awesome. Awesome speaker. Um, there was Simon Jacobson. I don't know if he's uh he's actually he has I forgot what it's called. The not Kabbalah Center, but the Center for a Meaningful Life, I think he has. He's uh, also an amazing speaker. Great, great speakers. And I was just listening to their techniques, and I realized what, what captivates an audience? Stories. You have to have good stories in order to really take hold of your audience. So it's interesting because right, the Pesach Seder is really about giving over the story of how we were... Um, right, the, the Exodus, leaving Egypt, all of the the fanfare, the plagues, and the splitting of the sea, and our our history as a nation, and it it, it struck me that this is really right. It, if the goal is really to impart, uh, you know, a message and information to the children, right? Well, we got it right, right? You got to do it in the form in the form of a story. So my kids love stories, and the best kind of a story is not the kind that you snuggle up in bed with and open up together and read the pages, which we like, and that's usually my uh, modus operandi on a, on a nightly basis. Um, but right, they they love it when you do imaginative, creative stories on your own. Okay, if you could come up with, and this is not my forte, I'm not. My husband's much better at making up stories. So since I can't do that, I usually rely upon family stories. They love to hear about, you know, it doesn't matter if it was about me, about my parents, about my grandparents. This is, this is what captivates them. This is what really they feel connected. And of course, they love to hear stories about themselves when they were younger. Um, their birds are always, uh, you know, and everyone has a story, I mean, like a context and a circumstance around their particular, their particular birth, and they love hearing it on their birthdays when, tell me what happened when I was born, you know, um, so... Um, <laughs> they love to hear it. Don't we all love to hear it? I mean, a little bit. It's, no? <laughs> Probably better. <laughs> Sometimes they ask too many questions. Cause then, well, no. One of my daughters was born, remember the blackout in whatever year? Oh, three? Remember the blackout? There was like oh, a blackout yeah, yeah. for like three days. How old were you in oh, three? You couldn't Wait, have been that, that young. There was no tornado. It was the summer. It was August. There was a blackout. It was like the whole Northeast. 
Yeah. We had like what? It was it was yeah. There wasn't no. You don't remember? Are you? We're not from New York. You're not okay. So it was in. I'm from Cleveland. You were in Six Flags. Oh my gosh. So anyway, there was this huge blackout. I don't know if it reached Maryland, but it definitely stretched from Ohio um, and past New. I mean, like it was Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey. Um, like it was a lot of a lot of states. Anyway, so my daughter was born. Just after some most places had recovered their electricity, it started on um, Thursday night. Uh, my daughter stretched into Friday. I was in Brooklyn. We didn't get our power until actually right before Shabbat, but we didn't know we didn't know that. I was due and ready to pop at any point. And um, hi. And uh, my daughter was actually born that Shabbat. So we went to my my mother-in-law. We needed to be with somebody for Shabbat because she was, I had two little ones. So if I had to go to the hospital, I needed someone to be there. My mother and brother were actually supposed to come in to New York. They were supposed to be with us for that Shabbat, but they couldn't get the car out of the garage because it was electric. <laughs> so they were they were stuck. But um, you know the story with Meira, with Meira, and we named her Meira, and she knows this of course, is because right Meira is related to the word or, which is light, and she brought light, just like we got light when we got the power back on. Um, so she also uh, brings a lot of light. But um, it was the hot, I gave birth in NYU. It was a mess, complete disaster. The nurses were fried. There was no AC. It was boiling, boiling hot. Oh it was, it was, it was. An, they only had AC on the floor, like ICU floors, because they had to. They had generators, but you can only use so much power. They had to choose, and they had it in the birthing rooms, only in the birthing, the birthing rooms. So they weren't paying attention to me, and I'm like, I'm, I need, I, 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 I need to give birth. Like, I, this is gonna happen. It was imminent, and um, literally, I barely got into a room. There was no doctor there, and there was a nurse. And I remember, I'll never forget this. She's like, My name is I Lean. You'll remember, I Lean. Like she was like, I Lean. And she, so I'll never forget her name. And she just took my face, and she says, Nalini. Don't push. And then literally, I couldn't control it. There's nothing you could do. So I said, I always tell me you're, and you just popped out. So then she'll ask me, what does that mean, I just popped out? You know? Um, so yeah, sometimes you don't want to ask too many questions. But um, family stories are what really, I think we, we all, our heart warms when we hear that. It makes us feel connected. It makes us feel loved. So really, the story of Pesach, what we're engaging in through the Pesach Seder, is our... Come on in, come on in. Hi. No, no problem. We just started a few minutes ago. There's a few chairs here. You could bring them. I can move, actually. So, right, the story of the Exodus from Egypt is really the story of our birthday as a Jewish nation. It's our birth, okay, and our entry into this world. In fact, in Yechezkel, it says um, that it refers to Passover as the day of your birth. Okay, so Pesach really is, hi, our birthday as a nation. You can just sign in over here. What are your names? Jackie and Svia. Hi, nice to meet you. Malini. So, um, okay. Right, so this is the story of our birth, and it really forms the backbone 
of our identity, of our heritage, of our faith, okay, and also of what we hope for, because the, the what we talk about in the Pesach Seder spans not just history, but also as our a national identity, what we're actually striving for, what we're striving towards. Right? We end the Seder with many songs, and the last song that we sing, those of you that know, what's the last song that we sing? L'shana haba'ah v'yirushalayim. Okay, so we end with, right, what we're hoping towards. Well, why are we hoping towards Yerushalayim, right? This is all, it encompasses so much. So, there's lots of ways to tell a story, right? I, I like books. I happen to, I like to read, and I like to read books as opposed to make up stories on my own. But, right, you could, one story is with, one way of telling over stories with words. There's also picture books, okay? I used to always find those so weird. Like, I would have these books for my kids and just pictures. And I understand, like, you know, the value in it, but it's like, okay, right, a picture can tell a thousand words just with pictures. But the Seder... And the Seder, the, the, the steps of the Seder and the items that write this on the Seder plate also tell a story. Okay? Those are our tangible objects that we use in order to tell the Passover story. So I want to start by just going through the Seder plate. It could be a little uh, technical. Um, and like what do we have, how, like when we set up the table, are any of you like responsible for setting up the Seder? Sometimes. Yeah? Sometimes. Okay. So it's a job. I help. Okay, that's a lot good. Of work. It is a lot of work, and we need a lot of helpers. I'm all for help. I have I'll my... come and help you. Thank you. Where do you live? I'll How probably... realistic is this? I want to know. <laughs> right now, I live in Washington Heights, but okay. I'll probably be in um, a little check in little... Boston. In Boston. Okay, nice. I heard they just got nice uh, six inches of snow or so. Oh my God. We're all... yeah. There's always snow. There's always winter in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no, you weren't in Boston. You were in Binghamton. Yeah. So, my girls actually, that's it. This, is ne- this next week is their last week of school. They're home, everyone's home for a whole week before Pesach. So, um, you know, my daughter says to me today, Ma, like, that's it. There's only, you know, only one more week of school after, after this week. I said, Yeah. She's like, So, what are we going to do the whole week? You know? <laughs> I'm like, Trust me, we're going to have a lot to do together. <laughs> It'll be lots of fun. Okay, so right, if you're, if you're responsible, you're taking an active role in setting up the Seder, like, this, will, this will also be, be helpful, and I guess, in kind of setting up. So here, if everyone could just take a sheet, and we'll use this just as an, as an outline. And this is, I'm going to continue next week. We're not going to get through everything, everything today. Um, now. On the table, okay, you're going to, well, let's, well, you have the list in front of you, right? We have to have a few things on the table. So what do we put on the table? Aside that, the, from the things that are on the Seder plate. So you will have, right, wine, right? The, whoever's leading the Seder will have, a, right, his own Kiddush cup. But every other person should actually have their own, their own cup of wine as well. Um, we're going to have salt water on the table, right, to dip our our uh, vegetables in. Actually, can I have one of these? Is this an extra one? No. Yeah. No, no, no. Me no. share. We'll share. Uh, okay. More we can share, too. Okay. And then we have the Seder plate. Some people have the matzah as part of their Seder plate. Some people, some people do not. So on the Seder plate, we have the roasted bone, or the zeroa, the egg, which is the beitza in Hebrew, bitter herbs, maror, and chazeret. 
charoset, which I don't know. I don't think there's an English translation for that. I, I, I double checked. I'm like, <laughs> so I, and um, karpas, which is the, the vegetable. So let's just go through each of these things. The wine. Now you'll see most of the of the things that we have in the Seder plate when we are have a double a dual role of of what it represents. When we think of of the of um, the story that we're trying to give over, what are we? we I, I normally think of well, we're telling the story of how we were freed, right? And we're trying to remember the freedom, but at the same time, we're actually also remembering. What? The slavery and the hardship. Right, the and slavery the and, the, and the suffering and the hardship, okay? And you'll see that each of these um, items that we use within the Seder, just about, right, carry both do the dual meaning, okay? They carry both the meaning of the freedom and the meaning of the slavery. So the wine. Anyone have any idea what's the, what's the deal with the wine? How does that represent the, uh, the, uh, the bondage? the slavery, and how does that re represent the freedom? So go ahead, Melody. I mean, I think it represents, doesn't it represent, like, the blood shed? Yeah, okay. And then you dip your finger and... Right, we do definitely it. do that later, right? We're going to be dipping our fingers. So, right, it's wine represents the blood on the one hand. And on the other, right, also what, what else, the blood being what, what else, where's the blood taking place in the story? Is it our blood that's being could be so it could be our blood that's being shed, but there's another so the plague. Okay. Them, and then also Egyptian blood. Okay, and also the Egyptian blood, right? In which which part? Well, not blood literally, but when they drowned, I guess. Okay, so it could. I don't know if we relate to that. The slaying of the firstborn. Okay, the slaying of the firstborn, and what did we do in oh, order to protect ourselves? Right, the blood on on the on the doorpost, which is why, right, we, the holiday is called Passover. I only learned this, I think, when I was in high school, what <laughs> Passover was. I never realized it was actually like a uh, conjunction. Is that what it's called, right? When there's two words, right, the pass and the over, because God passed over, right, those homes that put the blood on the on the doorpost from the, the sheep or the, right, that, that was slaughtered, the Egyptian god that we, that we slaughtered, and to mark that this house belongs to a Jew and he should pass over this house. So um, this wine, ideally, I'm going to try and go through and give, like, a, what I call, like, the body and the soul of the mitzvah, like, the body being, like, the practical how-to, what do we do, and the soul being a little bit of a, of a, of a deeper meaning. So um, the wine, ideally, should be red, Okay, and it's, ideally you should drink wine. Uh, I don't have such a great tolerance for wine. Um, the but really on Passover, if you if you can, you should drink wine. If you have trouble, you can definitely mix it with with grape juice. I you know one year I think I had two cups of wine because I think you, you drink the two cups before the meal and I like could not serve the soup. <laughs> I was, like that was not not happening for me. Four cups is a minimum, right? There's four cups that are part of the of the seder. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now the each like cup, each cup. Now you don't, you know we think of big beautiful glass goblets. Okay, it does not have to be big. You actually only need to drink three ounces. Okay, three ounces is you know really not that much at all. So um, ideally, you want, it's better to have a cup that's a little smaller so you could drink most of the cup. Um, you should drink. You know we say to drink. The cup, but the cup doesn't have to be 
big, it's like good to get small cups. My kids complain, why do we get the kitty cup? The kid, I'm like, I want the kitty cup, you know? The kitty, the kitty cup is good, you know? We don't, I have from like my family, like we just have tall cups. Um, okay. So, okay, that's the blood. And we're going to talk more about it when we talk about the steps of the Seder. We'll talk about, about Kadesh as a, as a step, Kiddush as a step. Salt water. What's the salt water? What does it represent? What's the duality? Tears. Okay, so we're very familiar with the tears. And how, what's the freedom part? Okay, great, right? The sea is what saved us, right? In the splitting of the sea, that's where we were able to, that was, that granted us our, our freedom when that was our, that was the moment, okay, where we, we finally you know, were, were free because the Egyptians were drowned underneath, right? The waters of, the waters of the sea. Then we have, um, the, the matzah. Now, what, what do we, anyone know what we call matzah? There's like a term that we call it in Hebrew, lechem. Oni. Lechem oni, which means bread of the poor. Okay, bread of the poor, and also bread of bread of the affliction, right, of of, of suffering. But it's also referred to as the bread of freedom. Okay, why is it the bread of freedom? Well, why is it? But why first? Why is it the bread of sli- the the bread of uh, affliction. affliction and poor man's bread? That's why it's, it's the bread of freedom. freedom. But why is it the bread of of affliction? Because it tastes bad. It's like suffering. <laughs> okay, so are you Spartac? Yeah. Okay, so it doesn't have to be so bad. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, um, right, Spartan actually have a, uh, right. it's more like a lapa, actually. <laughs> you know what lapa is. It's like a fluffier, thicker, nice kinds of bread. It's very expensive. We really only have it for the for the Seder, but it's actually really nice and fun to eat. Um, <laughs> but you don't have to feel bad. So, I remember last year, Erev Pesach, my husband sent like a or put it probably posted it on Facebook, like we were having it looked like bread with Nutella because Nutella is like for people who eat kidney oat, you know the what Spartan eat the uh, products of beans and and whatnot. So he's like this Passover. Sorry for all you Ashkenazim out there, you know, like we're we're living it up. But um, <laughs> that's why we say slicho at forty days. Right, that's the joke. That's that's the joke. So. Um, um, what happens? What what's the story with the with the matzah being the bread of affliction? So you, when you're a slave master, uh, you want to know how can you feed your your people, your slaves, the minimum, in order to um, they should feel energized, but you know, and, and get back to work. Okay, so this was something that it was easy to make, it was fast, right, and it was what they ate throughout uh, throughout their time in Egypt. But when they left. Okay, it was also the bread of their freedom. It carried them through, right? No, we're in a rush to get out. So the same bread that was, you know, representative of our misery and our suffering and our lack of our needs being taken care of in, in, uh, in Egypt was what carried us, right, what, I guess, uh, you know, uh, catapulted us out. Because it was right with this rush and this this fanfare, then the excitement of all the plagues. We got to get out now, right? That we now are. This was it, the same bread now gave me the taste of freedom. Okay. So 
let's go into, oh no, we're not done. Okay, now let's do the Seder plate. Okay, so the Seder plate. Sorry. Um, so what's, what's, on, what's on the Seder plate? So we have, these are the two things now, the, the, the um, Zroa and the Beitza are the two things that don't necessarily um, carry this, this dual meaning because they actually are representative of... Korban Vitamikdash and the Korban Pesach. Okay, great. So the Zroa is, the, is representative <laughs> of the Korban Pesach, right? When we, when we, we slaughter their, their God, okay? And this is the Korban, the Korban Pesach. We don't eat the Korban Pesach from the, from the Seder plate. That's one thing that we will not eat as part of the Seder. Interestingly, I, I compared... Um, I don't know how many of you uh, have done the simanim and Rosh Hashanah, right? Had some of the, the, the food that, that symbolized, you know, uh, blessings for the, sometimes blessings for the Jewish people, sometimes for destroying our enemies. So Ashkenazim typically will have a fish head, whereas Spartan will have a uh, sheep head, okay? And, uh, you know, in my family, I mean, I... I'm not a fan of the meat from the sheep head, and it really you have a skeleton on your on your table. It's it's kind of it's yeah, it's not my thing. Um, but I have two my two older boys and my father are like vying for that meat, that little meat on that on that skeleton. They 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 love it. Um, but that we don't touch it. We don't touch it on on Pesach because we don't. We we don't have the korban page. We we cannot perform the korb, the the sacrifice of the of the paschal lamb uh, without the temple. So we don't want anyone to think that we could uh, you know that we we could eat from this. Although I have seen that if you prepared it in a way that wasn't only with roasting, that some people do eat it and some people will eat it the following day, but not at the seder. So I guess there are different customs uh, relating to this, and the egg. Which, interestingly, also is, you know, doesn't necessarily carry the duality here, but we, when's another time of year that we have an egg? Oh, oh Erev Tishabav, okay, is when, right, it's a sign of mourning, and actually, I mean, we shouldn't know. Oh, that reminds me, actually. This class should be Le'ilui Nishmat, Zechariah Chaim ben Binyamin. Um, a sold girl's brother passed away this past Sunday, um, so this class is actually in honor of the raising of his of his soul. But um, mourners, when they come back from the funeral, I think believe it's the Ashkenazi custom, is that when you come back from the cemetery, that they eat an, they eat a, a, a hard boiled egg, okay, representing the circle of life and continuity. Even though right a person's soul has left this world, right there's it's not the end of life, and there is there is continuity. Um, so right here, right why are we eating it? Because it represents the korban chagiga, which is the festival sacrifice. Right there was an addition all, on all of the festivals, uh, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. There was a specific sacrifice that was brought, and the egg represents represents that sacrifice. Then we have the maror, okay? Maror, the bitter herbs. What, what, do you, what did you guys, what do you use for, for maror in your homes? If you, if you, Partly my mom used to use. Oh, I interesting. Know, I feel weird. I feel like people usually use romaine. Okay, I mean, that's interesting yeah, though, that's partly. Okay, when... The maror, we use the white... The horseradish. horseradish. Okay, so yeah. the, it's actually... 
What? Yeah, I so I grew up also only horseradish. Like we only had had horseradish. And when they, my family started to hear about the romaine lettuce, actually, I think when I came back from Israel, I'm like, you know, we could actually use romaine lettuce. And um, they're, they're like, you're just a cheater. You don't really want to, like, have the hot stuff and suffer. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, like, we can. So why can't we use the romaine lettuce? Okay, why, it doesn't taste as bad as the horseradish. We're supposed to be having a bitter experience. Does anyone know what the why why is romaine lettuce a maror of choice? So actually the way it grows, right, and I don't know, I, I happen to like romaine lettuce in my salads, right? The bottom part, the white part, the bottom is actually bitter, and the top part is sweet. So that's also the duality. Okay, is that it does come together, the bitterness and the and and the sweetness. And the chazeret, which I found this to be, you know, disturbing as I was like why do I need chazeret is another right the maras I believe on top and the charosa the chazeret is on the bottom of the seder plate although I know different communities set up the seder plate differently so you your seder plate could be in a different order um but it's the same thing it's a different type I'm like why do I have to have two and this found this to be a very disturbing question and I started uh looking in a couple places and not finding answers that I really liked so I actually um, called my uh, called a, a rav today. I called a few people, and then this was the one answer that I liked, or at least that made technical sense at least. So apparently, chazeret is a type. The 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 Gemara in Pesachim, there's a uh, the Talmud in in the tractate Pesachim actually says that chazeret is a type of maror, meaning the, the Gemara asks, what is maror? And it lists chazeret as being a type of maror, and it says that chazeret is chasa. Okay, what's chasa? Lettuce. Lettuce, okay. It's actually the Aramaic lettuce, it's chet samech aleph, now in Hebrew, right, it's become a modern word. So, right, a lot of times, even families who use horseradish will use horseradish for the maror, and the romaine lettuce for the chazeret. Um, and I do think that even many, ash, it's hard to have, right, for all of these things when we're actually in the Seder mode, there's actually minimum amounts that you have to eat for all of these things. It's very hard to have the minimum amount of horseradish. That would be quite a mouthful and um, probably a tor- torturous experience. So um, it, it's, I believe it's customary for those who use horseradish and maror to mix it. So this, uh, sorry, uh, horseradish and the romaine lettuce to mix the two. So they would wrap the horseradish around the, sorry, wrap the lettuce around the horseradish, okay? And that this way you'd be able to have the minimum amount and still, um, you know, be, uh, uh, right, fulfill the, fulfill, the, fulfill the mitzvah of eating it. Then we have this, the haroset. What's the haroset? I think we're most familiar with this. So there's also different customs in different communities. Ashkenazim, usually who makes haroset? What's in it? Um, like apples and cinnamon and nuts. Nuts and wine, usually, right? And Svartim? All kinds of dates. Yeah, okay, dates, so we do a date syrup with crushed uh, walnuts, usually. Mm-hmm. So what does this represent? Okay, the, the the bricks and the mortar that were that were used, we were right that we were right. That's the that's the difficulty. And as Rebecca said, right, the, 
but it also but it tastes sweet. Okay, so it carries both right again. It, it's reminiscent of the the time of our our slavery and the time of our our redemption. And then we have the carpas. Okay. Oh yes. Is the minimum amount three ounces? That's for the wine. Okay, so for the for the um, it's different. There's actually I'll bring it next week. There's actually a very cool um, laminated paper that I brought that I bought many years ago in a uh, like a bookstore. That so it's like let's say it's about this size. Maybe it's a little different shape, maybe more square. And it says, like, for maror, it needs to be this big. Like, for the romaine, it needs to be this big. For the matzah, it needs to be this big. For the, and you can, you know, eyeball it. But basically, um, what were you asking about for the haroset? The haroset doesn't have a minimum amount. The, the romaine, you're talking about basically one big leaf. Okay? It's a lot. Um, I, I, every year this happens to me, I make all this food for the Seder and no one eats because they're <laughs> stuffed by the time you get there because you just shoved, right, the matzah, okay, right, the matzah is about, um, let's say if you're talking about a machine matzah, like three quarters of that probably about, um, so, but you need that for the matzah and you need it for the sandwich, right, the korech, which we, right, in the, in the order of the Seder, so you basically chow down a lot by the time you bring out the main, the main course. Um, okay. Um, so the carpas. The carpas needs to be a vegetable other than the bitter herb. Okay. Ashkenazim typically use boiled potato. Is that what you guys use, right? That's what I always used growing up. And... Um, Right, Sfardim typically use celery. I don't know if you use something else. Parsley? parsley. Actually, it's oh, interesting. Maybe that's like, really and you know what? What? Where's your family from? What What type of Sfardi are you? Both Persian. Of Persian? Are you wrong? Yeah, Persian. Persian. Okay, because my, my husband's Bukharian, and okay. I think oh. he said that they would like, hit, I think they hit each other with yeah, parsley. Yeah, that's a Dayenu. Oh, and Dayenu, they yeah, hit each other. Yeah, with, oh, with leeks. Yeah. So yeah. you really get the full experience of what it's like. like to right, suffer. okay. Without the sweetness to it. I thought it was parsley. I thought it was a legitimate thing. Yeah, no, I'm sure it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. They run around the room. Like, <laughs> That's great. Okay, so, um, okay, why, so what are we doing with this? Right, we, it has to be a blessing on which we'll say, Borei Priyad Damas, it has to be a vegetable that's grown from the ground. And, um, right, uh, we dip it in the salt water, which reminds us of the bitterness. And how does it tell us anything about our right? That's the, about our freedom. So since Passover is in the spring, okay, and we celebrate the birth of our nation, vegetables which start right things start to come forth and grow in the in the springtime. So it reminds us of renewal, rejuvenation, and the fact that right that that we can that we're uh, right go through this process of of rebirth. So yeah. Um, so it's one of the first things that we do, like Kadesh, Yeah, that's that begins any meal. Now process. we're going to go into the actual seder, the, but yeah. Yeah, and then okay, yeah. so why is that the first thing? It it also symbolizes the dipping of of Yosef's coat in the blood, and that's what led to the whole thing. Which of thing? Egypt. The, the kiddush. You're, the, you're saying no, I'm why? saying the karpas. It's like the first thing that we do oh. of the seder. The first like. You know, in every other meal, you also say kiddush, and you have uh, you do natila. Right. Um, so we're gonna do that when we talk about the order right. of the so, seder. So I'm just saying, why yeah. is it the first thing of the seder? Right. Because um, it's the dipping of the coat that led into, you know, 
cause and effect of everything that led us into Lived Egypt. Egypt. Mm-hmm. So this is like leading on to the Seder kind of thing, the dipping. In the dipping. As well. Okay, I heard beautiful. That from somebody I, I actually, I saw that. But we're going to go into the steps of the Seder. That was just the table, okay? So what's the Seder? Okay, what does Seder mean? Order. Order, okay. It means order or arrangement. The Pesach Seder is actually set up in 15 sequential steps. Now, 15 is an interesting number. There's 15 steps to the Seder. There are also 15 steps that lead up to, anyone know? 15 steps that lead up to the temple, okay? And 15 shir ha, uh, uh, fifteen psalms that begin with shir hama'alot, right? The song of ascent, okay? So the idea of 15 is the idea of ascension, okay? And that with each step in the Seder, and again, in this, in this particular order, we're actually ascending into a, a deeper spiritual connection. Um, my, uh, my, my youngest, uh, who's not so young, turning five soon, so he was born um, just a few days before Pesach. At, I mean, about like five or six days before Pesach, because his bris was, was on um, the second day of Yom Tov. So there's a custom, right, uh, the night before the Brit, to um, write the circumcision. So there's a custom, many Ashkenazim have a custom, what's called a Vachtnacht. Um, I know Nacht is night, but I'm not even sure what Vacht means. Anyone know? You know what Vacht means? I don't know. Okay, but basically, um, they, children will come and in the neighborhood will come and say Shema Yisrael with the baby, and it's supposed the parents will, the mother of the baby will give out little candies, you know, to the to the kids, and it's supposed to be a protection for the baby. The Sephardic custom is to have a minion of men that will come and read from uh, the Zohar, read certain chapters from the Zohar. Um, also, it's the same concept as a type of protection for the baby. So I didn't know what to do. The bris was going to be on the second day of Pesach. The night before is the Pesach Seder. So how am I going to have a minion of men come and read from the Zohar? You know, like this, this is not this is not happening. How do you cook and never mind that? How do you cook and prepare everything? Oh. I, I actually, <laughs> that's, that's a whole story, that's thing. a whole story, I actually, before I went in, I, I see every kid has a story, <laughs> so before I went in to give birth, I went in for my doctor's appointment, and he didn't want to let me go home, he's like, no, you should really just go to the hospital, like, I see, it's, it's, it's going to happen, I wasn't contracting or anything, I said, no, 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 I got to go home, and he didn't, because of one of my other kids who came out so quickly, he wanted me to be in the hospital, he didn't want to have, like, a repeat, performance. So I said, um, no, I'm like, I promise as soon as, you know, things are getting moving, I'm going to go to the hospital. I promise. I came home. I got a haircut because I didn't want to not be able to get a haircut. We can't, there's no haircutting from uh, Passover until Lagba Omer. And my, I was desperate for a haircut. I had someone come to the house. I got a haircut. And I finished told, I finished koshering everything in my kitchen before I, before I went, went to the hospital to give birth. So when I came home, I wouldn't have to, have to deal with it. So I got a lot done that night. I gave birth the following morning. Um, so... Uh, Right. So anyway, so I asked that, well, what do, what do I do? He says, you know what, don't worry, there is no need for the Vachnach or uh, the, uh, it's called the Brit Yitzchak, the, what, uh, reading from the, the chapters that I read from the Zohar, there's no need for Brit Yitzchak because the Pesach night is actually called Leil Shimurim. 
it's a night of guarding, shamor, lishmor is to guard, and that there's a special protection that's given on that night, and you don't have to worry, okay? So the, the, the Pesach Seder night itself is a very holy, holy time. And um, you were about to uh, talk about, about uh, the, first, the first step, Kadesh, which is when we make, we make Kiddush. So I actually saw that Rabbi, Rabbi Stolper, anyone hear of Rabbi Pinchas Stolper? He actually is a, I'm not, I hope he's, I'm not sure if, he, I hope he's still alive. I think he's still alive. Um, he started NCSY, if anyone heard of NCSY. He's a very, very special person, and he's someone who was able to see the needs of the Jewish people, not just immediately, but, but for the future. Anyway, so he wrote uh, in, in a book, he says that the two holiest times of the year, the holiest times are Ne'ilah, which is the end of Yom Kippur, okay, right, right, and everything that led, that led up to this moment, right, it was all of Elul and, you know, the Rosh Hashanah and the 10 days of repentance in between, and now, right, at the very end of Yom Kippur, we're saying the fifth Shemona Esrei, the fifth, right, uh, the fifth main prayer of the day, the only time a year where we ever have five Shemona Esreis, everything that led up to that moment, that's such a holy moment. You know when the other moment is? of the year, he says, Kiddush and Pesach night. And there's everything that led up to that moment, okay? Because it's not, you know, us women, we know, right? Everything that goes into that. We've been preparing, right? Really, the day after Purim, I'm already thinking, let's get everything, all this junk out of the house, all this chametz out of my house. we got to start getting ready for Pesach, okay? And people, we have to plan. We have to plan, plan ahead. I don't think we have to plan in January, like I know some people do, but, you know, from, from Purim to Pesach is enough. And everything that leads up to this moment, it's a very powerful and holy moment. So the, the idea of the Seder is that it's setting us up to achieve a certain level of connection to our Creator and a, an, 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 an ascension of steps, right, clear steps of how we're going to get there. Shortcuts are convenient. I like shortcuts. I hate being in the car. I'll do anything to go shorter. I, you know, I, Waze is my shaliach from Hashem to tell me where <laughs> there's traffic. I, I really am all for getting things done on time. But in life, when you want to have, right, real meaningful interactions and real quality of experience, you can't have shortcuts. Right? It doesn't it doesn't work. You want to be a healthy adult, well you have to go through the stages, right, of being a, a, a child, right, an infant, and learn all the right the just the technical logistical things to speak, to walk, all right, to go through the the social interactions as a as a as a child with all the suffering that that sometimes entails as well and the teasing I, I have no tolerance for you know, bullying of things that happen with kids. I, I, I don't, I have tremendous respect for teachers who have patience for all that. It just makes me so upset when I hear that kids are uh, suffering emotionally. But, um, right, in the teenage years and the, right, who were very happy to, uh, you know, fast forward or looking back, you know, the awkwardness and the hormonal changes and all these things, right? And then we go through our college years and, enter a career and then you know and as we mature right we uh, were able to look back and see how we needed all those things in order to have a mature understanding and perspective in life so the seder teaches us that there's a there's steps there's an order in order to become the person who you want to become
Um, okay, so what's the what's the body of kiddush? Let me just see where we're up to. Okay, so we're gonna do we're gonna try and get through. Um, I was probably with the first four or five steps of the seder. So what's the what's the I, I divided each step and I have the body and the soul of each step. Meaning the body is what are we what's the what are we actually doing here and what's a little bit of a deeper deeper meaning behind it. So when we say kiddush, what how do we translate lekadesh? What does kadosh mean? Holy. Holy. Okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like it's such an esoteric concept like to separate. Okay, so when we when it says in the Torah, it says kedoshim tihiyu, you should be holy. So it actually means you should be separate. You should be different from everybody else. And actually we even call marriage, right? The name, the 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 term that's used for Jewish marriage is kedoshin, okay? It's also what is it what does that mean in terms of marriage? Well, you're saying that I you can I will be separate from the rest of the world in order to be connected and focused on you and we can elevate this relationship to something more. But until you decide who you're not and what you're not, right, then you don't know, right, who you're going to. It's kind of like I, I remember hearing uh, a teacher of mine give an example about, uh, you know, South Africa apartheid and that when the when the blacks decided that they were going, they, they wanted their freedom, well, it's great to know that you want, that, you know, they, and you don't want to be oppressed, but what do you want to be free to do? And that the, what, you know, I mean, his personal take was, well, if you're to be free from something and not know what you're being freeing to, freed towards, we can leave you in a very, uh, you know, um, a place where you you can't accomplish much because you don't have any real vision. So, um, and he felt that was the you know the uh, downfall of the the, commu- the 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 black community in in South Africa that the reason why they weren't able to sustain themselves and to move themselves and catapult themselves forward was because they didn't have a vision of what they wanted to be freed towards. They knew what they wanted to be freed from. Clearly, the difference with the Jewish people, right? We knew we knew what we were being freed freed from, and we had a mission and a vision of what we were being freed towards. So, right, kiddush means, right, and now we are separating ourselves from, right, practically, let's say right now, right, from the craziness of the rest of the, the week that we were, that we had, or the month that we had, and all of the, you know, the work that we put into it, and now we're coming to the Seder, and we're going to be focused and ready to, to elevate ourselves. So um, right, when we drink, we recline, okay? Any of, the, any of the things that we're doing that are an expression of freedom, we don't recline when we eat the maror, but what, and when we have the haroset, I believe when we have the haroset, okay? When we have the sandwich, right, we, we recline. And what's the idea of reclining? So I do think of, you know, those pictures of, you know, like in Roman times, it's like, People relaxing on a couch with grapes being like dressed in their mouths, and right, it's just the sign of of kingship, of royalty, of you know, of someone who who has real freedom. And we said also minimum of three ounces, and ideally someone should pour the wine for you, right? Just like 
We shouldn't have to fill our own, our own cups. That's something that commoners would do. Okay, as royalty, right, someone else fills, fills, fills your cup. Um, okay, Urchatz. So Urchatz is the washing of the hands. Okay, this, when we wash the hands here, we do not make the blessing, okay, of, of Al-Nitilat Yadayim. Um, but we are, but we wash our hands without, without the blessing. Why do we do this? Okay, why are we washing our hands? Any ideas? Why are we washing our hands without making a blessing? We're not going to have bread. Well, you usually do it to like to clean your hands. You know, you wash before you eat. But we're not, well, we're not going to eat bread. Just I know, but just to, yeah, to clean. Just to purify yourself? Like, comment, like. Okay. So it's actually interesting. So uh, there is a halachic reason, in which people are actually unaware of. There is this idea that you should wash before touching something wet, which is also why people will, when they have a fruit, you want to wash an apple, you'll dry it really well before you you eat it because water carries tuma. So if you would touch it, also this comes up if you're a pickle eater. I have a pickle eater daughter loves pickles, okay, something that's wet, so you should actually technically, right, you should wash your hands without making a blessing, okay, but wash as if you were washing for bread, um, and, um, right, and then you can have your wet vegetable, so we're about to have a wet vegetable, right, we're going to dip, we do the washing right before we dip the vegetable in the, in the salt water, so that's a technical halachic reason why, why we wash, Tum'ah's impurity. Yeah, okay, so, uh, so uh, we want to get rid of any Im- impurities that, that there might be there. There's actually, I, I, I don't remember, I think it might be, um, mil- there's substances that are, that are listed that carry tum'ah. That, um, you should, I don't remember, I, want, I, I have like a few that are coming to mind, but I'm not, I, I mean, you'd have to check it up, but it might be like milk and honey, blood, water, I think there's like four or five that, that actually carry, we have to be careful about. Now, um, the, so we're going to be washing just like we wash, just like we wash for bread. So if you're Ashkenaz, you'll do two on your right and two on your left. If you're Sephardic, three times on the right and three times on the left. Now we also do this because we're trying to do weird things (laughs) so that people will ask questions. So, um, you know, it's interesting, a lot of times, and the kids certainly in school prepare for the Seder, they'll learn about the Haggadah and the Seder, and they have all these things to share, which is awesome, but it does kind of take away from the real live process of what we're trying to do, which is like, do these weird things, so you'll ask questions, but you already know the answer, so you're not answering the question. So I actually heard from somebody that um, homeschools their kids, um, that they do not teach them anything about the Pesach Seder. So that when they come to the Seder, they'll actually be right, a blank slate and a fresh mind to really be curious and ask the questions. They aren't, they aren't prepared. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, something that us school sender parents uh, don't have the, uh, the advantage of doing. So um, what's, what's the deal with our hands? Our hands are our primary tool in, that, that we use to interact with our environment. So they generally obey our emotions, 
Okay, if I, right, I, I love something, I'm going to run to do it, and I feel compassion, I, right, to express ourselves, to dominate, and our emotions, in turn, right, reflect our mental state, right, whatever I, I tend to do, what I, sometimes, you know, we, it's a, not the best thing to do, but we'll act on our, our emotions, right, we don't, even though we, we shouldn't sometimes. My friend just called me recently and told me that she, uh, She's married already for over a year, and she saw someone who she, in, in shul, in synagogue on, on Shabbat, that she had dated for a long time, and uh, saw him across the mechitza. And uh, she was, like, staring at him because she, she didn't think that it was him because he lives out of town. She's like, what would he be doing here? This is so weird. Like, it can't be him. And then he did something, and she was like, oh, my God, it's really him. And then when she saw her husband later... Um, she didn't say anything to him. And I said, I was so, she called me to tell me like two days later what happened. And, and I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm so impressed, you know, that, that you, that you didn't say anything. Meaning there's no, there's no point. What's the point of telling, oh yeah, by the way, that's the guy who she would, he would have, she's, he's heard about him before. Why does he need to, you know, meet him or see him? Like, for what purpose? For what end? I think, I'm like, you're amazing. Like, for me, my, emo- my emotions are already so riled up, like, I can't control my mouth. Like, I, I would have to tell him. So, um, right, we want to be able to, right, take control and, like, say, no, I'm not going to be dominated by my, by my emotions. So when I stop to purify my hands, right, to say, no, you know what, I want to think a little bit before I act on, on every, every woman, everything that I feel. Okay, carpas. So um, what do we do here? So we're going to take our vegetable and dip it into, into, the, into the salt water. And this is also, right, like uh, a weird thing that we do. Um, also meant to spark cur- curiosity in our, in our children and to have them, have them ask questions. So, right, why, why are we, you know dipping food in salt water or like, you know, we just wash, like, shouldn't we make a blessing and, and have the meal now? What are, what exactly are we doing? So the truth is the, we're actually like royalty in the sense, right? Royal, many, uh, grand affairs have a, a smorgasbord of appetizers. So we're having our appetizer right at this meal. Um, you know, having dips, dipping it into things, things which are, you know, Spartans tend to have more dips than, than, uh, than Ashkenazim. But um, culturally, this is like a, a it's certainly a, a um, you know, elitist way of, of, having, of having a meal, something that, <coughs> that's not done by, by commoners. Um, but what we're doing here, let me just, do we, do we lean here? Um, I think you do lean here. Okay, yes. You are going to recline. Also, we recline to our left, by the way, not to our right. Um, it's said to be a digestive issue if you lean to your right, so please lean, lean, to your, lean to your left. Some people have pillows behind them as well. They like to make this a very um, posh experience. Um, but really, you know, what we're doing here is solely about trying to get our kids to ask questions. Why are we doing this? What, what is this about? And what we're saying is that oftentimes the question is more important than the answer. Because if you want to be in a process of growth and learning, 
you have to be asking questions. I actually heard a beautiful idea, and I should share it now since it's relevant to the Seder table. Um, Ashkenazim will have the Kos Shel Eliyahu, right? The, the cup of Elijah on the table. Sephardims don't have this custom. Do you do this? Do you do? No. So the truth is, I, I grew up doing this. My father's Sephardic, but I grew up in Cleveland with all of my mother's family, and we always had, like, until my senior year, right? I all my and my grandmother from India came and said, "What are you doing here?" Um, you know, we, she totally changed everything, um, and we actually had to do go before a Jewish court and uh, do what's called hatarat nedarim. We had to annul our vows in order to take on the Spartac customs of having rice and doing all these things because we had never done them before. Even though my father was Sephardic, my mother just always did things the way her mother did. So, um, right, we always, I always had the coast of, of Elijah, but I never, um, uh, but I, I later learned that Spartan, Spartan do not do this, but it's something that I actually, even though my husband's Sephardic and I am technically Sephardic, I like to do it at my, at my table, so I, um, you know, will embrace my Ashkenazi side as well. What is the coast Shel Eliyahu? So it's actually very, very interesting what this represents. You know, we have four cups of wine, and the four cups actually correspond to the four languages of redemption that are used in the in the in the Torah. Just so, the or something like that. Right. Okay. So, um, what's the what are they? So it's the hotzeti, the hitzalti, the higalti, the lakachti. Those correspond to the four cups of wine. But there's actually a fifth language that's used, and that's the Hiveti. The Hiveti, so what is the, let's just translate them. Behotseti means, I will take you out. The Hitzalti is, and I will save you. The Higalti, and I will redeem you. And Vilakachti, and I will take you. So these things already happened, right, when we, when we left Egypt. But there's actually a fifth word, and that is the Hiveti, which means that I will bring you. Talking about the ultimate uh, uh, redemption, right, going, the, our ultimate uh, Geula, when we are brought into the land of Israel, meaning now, right, and imminently, God willing. So, um, but we only have four cups, okay? So why is this? It's because we forgot the halacha. Okay, we weren't sure if it was supposed to be four cups or five cups. So the rabbi said, you know what? We'll compromise. Okay, not often do we have compromises in halacha. One prominent compromise that we have, anyone know? Is the mezuzah. Okay, there's an argument in the Gemara whether mezuzah should be straight or it should be horizontal. So Ashkenazim say, we'll compromise, right? It should be, we'll put it on a slant. Okay, and actually that's the... It's oftentimes you'll hear that as like a, uh, a blessing for a husband and wife. They should know, right, the house should be, right, everyone has to have to compromise. Spartum, of course, follow the opinion of it being straight, and there's, there's no compromise. But, okay, <laughs> with, uh, with the, with the coastal Eliyahu, right, we, we compromise. So, you know, we'll put it on the table, but don't drink from it. Okay, now I think this is an amazing, amazing thing. Because what are we saying? We're saying, oh, you know what? At the end, how are we going to know what, what the law is? Well, at the end of days, Eliyahu Hanavi is going to come, and he's going to tell us this is the law. Oh, right, 
yes, kitniot for everybody, or, you know, no one can have, right, no gavraks, no mixing even, uh, you know, masa with any type of wet substance, okay? Um, right, and we're going to, everything's going, all the uncertainties will be made clear, including this coast. But we put this at the center of our table, and you know what that represents? The idea that we have questions, and we have things that aren't answered, and that's okay, right? I'm still going to be able to give over this tradition, and this history, and this heritage, and this mission of ours, as much as I know, and we're still going to have questions, and that's really okay. And to me, that was amazing, because when I, I, I heard this idea from my teacher, Eliza Bulow, and this idea that really, you know, to be able to embrace the idea that it's okay to have questions, because, you know, we all have questions. I, I had a, a mentor once who said to me, I remember I was in high school, and she said to me, okay, Nalini, what, what's your issue? What's your issue? I'm like, I don't have any issues. You know, I thought she was kind of like picking on me, because I was, you know, always kind of had an issue. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't have any issues. And she said, no, you should always have an issue. Because if you have issues, that means you're thinking, you're growing, you're developing. It's okay, right? It's okay to have questions. So um, meanwhile, right, it's, it's a question mark. And we leave it at the center of our table to say, you know what, guys? It's great to have questions. So that's Karpas. Um, yachas. Okay, we'll end with this. Yachatz is to break. Okay, we have three. Normally, we have when we on Shabbat or Yom Tov, we have two loaves, right? Two loaves of bread, right? Representing the manna that we had in the desert. We were given two loaves, right? Because we couldn't go out and collect our um, our manna from, right, bring it from a, a public domain to a private domain. So we have two to represent that we had these two two manas. But on Pesach, we have we have three. So two <coughs> represents the uh, right the the lechem mishnah, having the double portion for for a Shabbat and for a holiday, and the third we break. Okay, um, I don't know. I, I don't recall if there's a way that uh, Ashkenazim break it, but this is actually just something I remember. Right, it's better to break it into the shape of. Uh, a small dalid and a little vav to kind of make it into like a um, like an L shape, okay? When when you break it, I don't know. There's cabalistic reasons as to you know what that what that means. Not sure not sure what it is, but um, the piece that remains on the seder plate is called right the poor man's bread, okay? And actually, this is. <clears throat> we'll take this apart and, and uh, you know, my kids oftentimes will enact, we'll go through this whole uh, performance right before as we're leading into the, to the Haggadah where they'll take the matzah over their shoulder on the back, we'll get a sheet, wrap them up, wrap someone up in a toga, okay, with a, with a white sheet, so they're like Moses, we get them a stick, and they lead all the kids, right, and they come in and we ask them, right, where are you go? we say, um, right, where are you coming from? And they say, Mimitzrayim, right, from Egypt. Where are you going? Lirushalayim, okay? And, right, and they go through and they, they, they enact this out with this, with this matzah. So um, this is also part, the part that we break off is also for the afikoman, which is the, the part that we eat at the end of the meal, the dessert, okay, uh, so to speak.
Um, some people hide the afikomen and the children find it. Some houses, the children hide it and the adults have to find it. But it's real, that's just kind of to keep everybody awake and excited and, and, and into it. Now, what's the, what's, the, what's the idea of breaking the matzah? Why do we break the matzah? So the matzah that the tale of our exodus from Egypt is recounted upon, right, has to be broken because it symbolizes the idea of the broken body and spirit of our ancestors. It was hard. They were broken. And we have to remind ourselves, right, we're also broken, okay? Parts of us are broken, right? There, we all have our own trials and tribulations and hardships and, and things that we question and things that we suffer with. And we sometimes ask ourselves, right, why did the cosmic designer have to make things broken, right? Why did it have to be this way? And, uh, you know, why, why do we have to have a world where there's so much suffering and there's so much pain and heartache? So a whole vessel can only contain what you put into it. But, okay, a broken one can hold the infinite. In what way? So I actually, um, I heard this in a different context in, in, a, in a parenting class where she said, you know, people are like Swiss cheese. Okay? We have holes. Okay? We're here. Our whole purpose of our existence, no one's here brought into this world perfect. We all have a mission here. We all have something to bring forth, something to do, something to perfect something to give to, to the Jewish people, to humanity. So our process here is about, right, filling up those holes, right, correcting those holes so that we can become and become, become our better selves, become more similar to the infinite. So matzah <coughs> is called the poor man's bread. <coughs> Excuse me. Because he's lo it's low and it's broken. <clears throat> but it's this brokenness that allows him, right, to leave the lands of Egypt, okay, and open his soul to something much greater, and open his soul to the Torah, to its messages, to connection with the infinite and with, and with beyond. But as long as we feel whole and as long as we feel perfect, there's no room for anything else. There's no room for God. There's no room for connection because I have everything I need right here. So it's only when, we're re when we realize that, yeah, well, we're but a fragment, okay? And there's parts of us that need, to be, that need to be fixed and need to be connected. That's when we start to feel like, oh, now we can start, start the process of connection. Now we can start the, the process of becoming whole and one again with something much greater, with the infinite. So we'll stop here and uh, continue next week, God willing.